The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. No one wants to hear that news from their own mother. Quote, I can't take kids that constantly cry. Okay, well, all children constantly cry. That's just a given. They're going to cry. Let's see. Why did John David start crying this weekend, which is very rare? Oh, because I made him practice piano. Lucy started crying when I told her she had to put away her homemade slime that she's obsessed with making and go to sleep. She had a big vat of it in a giant Tupperware. I mean, anything can, they'll just cry. They can be tired. They cry. They're hungry. They cry. That's just, that's just part of it. But three dead infants, because you couldn't stand the way that they cry. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. And believe you me, I want justice. Nancy Morones, now suspected in three murders, including the murder of her own son. How did she get her mitts on two others? Joining me, Chicago psychologist Dr. Tiffany Sanders, forensics expert and professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, Joseph Scott Morgan, and investigative journalist Alan Duke. Uh, Alan, Nancy Morones now suspected in suffocating three babies, but all three deaths were attributed to SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Hold hold on, Alan. Joe Scott Morgan, you're the forensics expert. Maybe you can explain it a little better than I. What is SIDS? We, we don't really, still to this day, Nancy, we still don't know what SIDS is. What it stands for is Sudden Infant, infant Death Syndrome. Uh, for many years, people refer to it as crib death. And it, it's this mysterious thing that kind of hangs out there in the air. And 
new parents in particular, I, I remember me being terrified of, uh, you know, walking in and finding my baby deceased. And then at autopsy, many times there's just no viable explanation. And that's what's troubling about this because lots of times, lots of times, it's the default position when you're trying to make a diagnosis post-mortem. Well, I, I was the same way with the twins. I finally got them something called angel something it was a very thin mattress almost like the 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 uh, thickness of a heating pad that you put under their sheet and if they if their breathing stopped it was supposed to alarm of course it never did alarm because as you said, Joe Scott, that no, to this day, the real cause of sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, has not been identified, which makes me highly suspicious when I keep hearing about children dying of SIDS. And it does happen. But when one woman is connected to three different children, unrelated in time and space, of SIDS, they all die of SIDS, she's the com commonality. She's the common factor. And I can't believe it's taken all these years to put two and two together to, re to get four sudden infant death syndrome and this is even uh, i remember when the twins were born and that was 10 years ago there was a huge effort an initiative called back to sleep back to sleep always put your child asleep on their back because part of the theory is that if you put your child asleep on their tummy their face will get smushed down in blankets or sheets, which you're not supposed to have in the bed anyway. And they'll suffocate because they don't have the power to move their heads or to turn over on their back, back to sleep. And to this day, that was 10 years ago, no serious strides have been taken in reducing sudden infant death syndrome. So I guess everybody just took it at face value that Nancy Morona has just happened to be connected to three dead babies. So Alan Duke, uh, what brought about any type of break in the case? Let's start with the first death. What happened? Little Justin Brunko was just 18 days old when he died suddenly. This was in 1980. And as you said, the coroner concluded it was SIDS. Wait, 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 wait. Justin Brunka. This is nancy's son her own son 18 days old 18 yes. days old okay H how was he found do we know uh yes he, he he was found at her home she called the police and said her baby was not breathing and so they responded and concluded it was sid's it was at the home chilling details in documents that we have obtained from prosecutors where she states, and I quote, I quote, can't take kids that constantly cry. God forbid one of them have colic. Okay, just God forbid. Um, interesting, that's the first dead infant. Just four years after her own son's death, it's now believed Moronez was babysitting a six-month-old baby boy. Now, at the time, she tells investigators she noticed the baby was unresponsive in less than an hour after she puts him to sleep face down on a waterbed. Okay, she tells police she got concerned when she saw the baby's face turn purple the way her sons did when he died. Now, right there... Allen, police uh, antenna should have shot up when she says, this is just the way my baby son died. Hello? She's on the scene when two babies died. How did the baby's parents find Nancy Morones? Nancy Morones responded to a Milwaukee newspaper ad where the couple was looking for a babysitter, and she signed up for the job, and they hired her. And started babysitting for this child. It was just one year after the six-month-old little boy is dead, the next child victim, just one year later, she was babysitting an 11-week-old little girl 
What happened, Alan Duke? She called firefighters, called 911. Firefighters responded to her home. She pointed to a plastic seat on the floor just saying, there it is. And that's where two-month-old Katie Kazanicki was on the seat, cold, blue, not breathing. And this is what's really crazy. Morona's recognized one of the firefighters who responded, realizing he had come to her home the previous March when Brad died. And she asked the firefighter, do you remember me? Yeah, that's so odd, uh, Alan Duke, because reportedly the firefighter says, yeah, I remember. And that Morona's then said, according to the court documents we've just obtained, I told my husband I didn't want to babysit anymore. That's the third dead baby. The first time her own son, Justin Brunco, just 18 days old, dead. Four years later, an infant, six-month-old baby boy, dead. She tells the cops, I became suspicious because he died just like my son did. That should have warned them right then, but no, it didn't. Then the third one, and she actually starts conversation with the firefighter, to remind him that he responded to one of the other dead baby calls. And still, nothing is done. To Dr. Tiffany Sanders, Chicago psychologist. Dr. Tiffany, do you believe uh, the fact that cops and firefighters, EMTs, didn't piece anything together? It's because we have a natural tendency to invoke maternalism on moms we we just assume mothers love children yeah nancy i'm listening to the story and i'm reading the information and it it seems so shocking that no one is putting the pieces together i work routinely with department children and family services and when you see a circumstance happen once okay sure but a second time and and it's very eerily similar to the way her her child passed it will bring up all sort of red flags and have all sort of caseworkers or investigators determining what is the relationship between these two deaths. And I do believe, to your point, that they may have afforded her some sort of uh, uh, privilege that, oh, she's a mother, she wouldn't harm another person's child, versus looking at this woman with some form of psychopathology and saying, why is she killing babies? It's a shame that that they did not investigate this further with that second child. I'm looking at a family photo of her. She's smiling and happy, apparently, with who must be her husband. Completely normal-looking woman. Uh, she's kind of attractive, I guess. And big smile, seemingly normal, but the bodies are stacking up. And one statement, she apparently says that she used a blanket with one of her tiny victims that the baby quote kind of moved around in her hands as she suffocated the baby dead that she goes on to say she did not use a blanket with her own son because quote she wanted him to go sooner what 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 dr tiffany what about impulse control you know you want the child to quit crying but to kill it Absolutely. I, I mean, you're, you're thinking about impulse control. You're thinking about, you know, does she lack empathy, remorse? Uh, does she have care or concern? I, I mean, these are all signs and symptoms of possible psychopathology, possible this woman is deranged, and, and no one's looking and investigating her mental illness. You just don't do those things, especially with the newborn. So, and, and, And I'm not trying to blame the mom of the the second child, but what background check did she conduct? I mean, did you not investigate her own care of children? That's usually one of the first things you want to do before you place your own child in someone else's care. Hello, her own child died. I'm I'm going to put some ownership on that parent. They didn't do their own uh, good enough job or due diligence uh, researching this woman's background. Alan, what brought it to the forefront? I mean, how, after all this time... Was it uncovered that these children did not die of SIDS? Well, it was the daughter, the younger sister of the 
first child to die, uh, Nancy's daughter was curious about why her older brother had died and she wasn't accepting Sid. So she had talks with her mom and what her mom told her was chilling. And so she couldn't keep it in. She went to the police and told them what her mother had revealed to her. And what did the mother say? What was chilling? She said, I killed your brother. I suffocated him. I understood that she first said she suffocated him with a black garbage bag. But then later, she tells prosecutors he actually died after she held less than one month old tot, the baby, the infant, under the water in the bathtub. Now, Joe Scott Morgan, if that's true, they should have found water in the the baby's lungs shouldn't they not necessarily nancy one of the, one of the ways that they explain this is that there's a, a a spasm that takes place in the airway that literally shuts down the airway to occlude it from taking in the water but also what it occludes is the ability to breathe it's um it's a curious thing isn't it because this <sighs> It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. I got to be real careful in saying this. It doesn't take a lot to kill a, a baby. This is this. These little angels are the most fragile among us. So it doesn't take a lot of effort to facilitate their death. Um, and in this particular case, when they did the examination on the child, the pathologist um, didn't find any evidence of drowning. In, in this particular case, what we would normally associate. And this is another thing, if I can just go a little bit further. One of the things that we look for in SIDS, first off, is do they fit within the age parameters? And that's what's so disturbing about this. They're saying this child is 18 months old. Now, granted, this is back in 1980. but 18 eight, days. I'm sorry, 18 days old. And that is a major problem in the sense that we don't even start considering SIDS until we're out past the one-month-old marker, okay? So if you're talking about 18 days, Nancy, we're talking about some kind of metabolic condition that exists within that child that maybe was indwelling that child since birth. We don't start to look at SIDS until about one month out at that point. So it didn't fit the parameters uh, that have been established. Here's another fact. In her statement, Joe Scott, she says she, quote, saw bubbles coming out of his nose and mouth. But why are we even considering the statements of a three-time killer? She also says, quote, when her daughter was born, she made a promise to God that she would not do anything to hurt her daughter if she was crying. But later tells cops, I made a promise but I broke it. Yeah, you darn right you broke it. Here's the kicker. You can kill as many infants as you want to in Wisconsin, and they don't have the death penalty. And I've already seen her. I've already heard of her. I saw her walk into court, but I already hear tell that she's using a wheelchair, Alan Duke. Yes, she was sitting in a wheelchair in court, slumped down, not looking up during her preliminary hearing. Mm-hmm. I know where that's going, Dr. Tiffany Sanders. Well, Nancy, she's trying to give this uh, image that, oh, I'm, I'm feeble, I'm, I'm frail. I couldn't possibly have done something such as a horrible uh, as killing uh, three children. No, you have someone else. You have the wrong person. So uh, she's trying to play on the psyche of, of the jury and the judge, and it's just not working. When she, when she allegedly committed these acts, she was not in the wheelchair, uh, and she was probably moving about with as much energy as you and I are the next person. So it's a lame attempt that will not work. Yep. In Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, capital punishment was abolished in 1853. They were one of the earliest U.S. states to abolish the DP. It's the only state in the Union that has performed only one execution in its entire history. So I guess she's just been free to kill as many infants as she wants with no real repercussion. At first, she was walking into court. Now she's taken to a wheelchair. Okay. Three dead infants that we know of. 
Listen to this. Nancy, this is Amy Brunka, the daughter, speaking to Fox News 6 in Milwaukee. I was just shocked, just completely shocked. I feel sad. I feel shocked. I feel horrified, sick. No one wants to hear that news from their own mother. And she just kind of like, she didn't care. She had no emotion when she told me what she did. I went ballistic. My heart goes out to these families. I hope that maybe that these people have a little closure now, at least to know some of the truth. I hope she gets life in prison, and that's like an understatement. A cheating Missouri governor slams a, quote, reckless liberal prosecutor after the governor is indicted for taking naked photos of his quote hairdresser in a blackmail plot what does it never end i guarantee you his parents worked their fingers to the bone to send him to good schools to help him get through college so he could pursue his political ambition to what sleep with the hairdresser and end up in the middle of the scandal and to top it all off How much of this did the taxpayers pay for? First, we've got the Nashville mayor meeting for sex with her bodyguard at a cemetery, no less. It's 7 in the morning. And now this with the Missouri governor. You know what? I want to throw the whole kit and caboodle out. But you know what? Whoever they sleep with, that's their business. But do the taxpayers have to pay for it. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. So you may ask, what's the crime? Hold on a moment. With me, Pamela Fur, Crime Stories investigative reporter. Pam, I have missing children to find. I have unsolved homicides to solve. Why is this considered a crime? It's the oldest story in the book. A man cheats. So what's the crime? The crime is uh, allegedly that he photographed a woman without her consent, someone he was sleeping with. You mentioned a moment ago, his hairdresser. So the indictment states that he photographed her while she was handcuffed, while she was blindfolded and in the basement of his home. And while he was taking the picture, he said to her, if you say anything about this affair, I will release these pictures. And so they are charging him with invasion of privacy because she did not consent. Okay, wait, you had me on photo in handcuff and naked in the same sentence. (laughs) That's a crime. That is a crime if she did not consent to it. Now, uh, (laughs) Troy Slayton renowned defense attorney and yes that was a little bit like eating a dirt sandwich but i said it troy slayton renowned defense attorney out of la hey buddy troy you know what when you are in a guy's basement completely buck naked and you're handcuffed and blindfolded it's gonna be a little difficult to argue i didn't consent to have my photo taken help me out it's gonna be very difficult and the only way that any of this got out, Nancy, is because her husband surreptitiously and without her knowledge recorded her telling her husband about the whole thing. Wait a minute. None of this would have gotten Karen out. Stark, Karen Stark, psychologist out of New York. Excuse me, Troy. What's with it? Every man in her life is recording her without her knowledge, according to her. The boyfriend, who happens to be the Missouri governor, has her tied up, handcuffed, uh, naked, with a blindfold over her eyes and takes her picture. Well, that's not flattering. And then you've got her husband allegedly recording her conversations. This woman can't win. Well... <laughs> there's no there's no uh crime involved in the fact that she didn't know about it. However, what you what you wonder about is how is she even getting into all of these situations, Nancy? What's going on that first she's with this guy and allowing herself to be blindfolded and then she's going to her husband and telling him the story? Well, hold on. Speaking of that, Karen Stark, you brought up a very good point. My partner in crime, Alan Duke, has managed to locate some of 
the surreptitiously recorded tapes where the husband is taping his wife as she admits to the relationship with the Missouri governor. Listen to this. Roll it, Alan. So on Saturday morning, before my first client, I did go to his house. The first time ever. Like I said, nothing, period, had ever happened or taken place until this snowball tornado just happened. I know I brought it on. You know, Troy Slayton, I, I, I always find it interesting. And I can't say that I've never done something similar. I guess we all have. You're not mad you're, you did it. You're, you're mad you got caught. Okay. <laughs> and that seems to be her response here. She's like, I, I know I brought this on, but now a tornado has, quote, just happened. A tornado, Troy Slayton, and you can tell this to some of your criminal defense, criminal clients, didn't just happen. The tornado started when you're, you're married and you're flirting with a married guy. And again, I'm not the church lady. I, I don't care who sleeps with who. It's none of my business as long as it's not me or my husband. But... You start off with a married man, you're married too, and then you, quote, find yourself in his basement, buck naked, with handcuffs and a blindfold on. That didn't, quote, just happen. It didn't just happen. Every one of those was a conscious decision. You know, whether it's um, cheating or booze or drugs or gambling or anger, it could be a myriad of things that destroy a relationship, when you give into that, that is your decision. That's a conscious decision to mess up the marriage, Troy. I mean, this, but this is, we're talking about a crime now. And this was a conscious decision. It did not just happen, Troy. It reminds me of drunk driving. You make the decision to get in the car, crank up the car, reverse out of the bar and get on the open road and kill somebody with your vehicle. It's not an accident. It's a conscious decision, Troy. You mean, Nancy, that this is a case about choices and responsibility? The thing that every single prosecutor says in every single case that I've tried? Mm -hmm. Nancy, in California, this would have been a crime for this hairdresser's husband to have recorded her because out here it's a two-party consent state. Well, it probably is a crime on Mars, too, or the planet Saturn, but guess what? That's not where it happened. It happened in Missouri, and that's a one-party consent state, Troy. Save it. Nancy, we have an overzealous prosecutor from the other party who decided to wait two years and 11 months, about a month before the statute of limitation would have run out on this, to bring a case against the governor of the opposite party in order to try to bring him down. Well, I have to agree with you with the political problems, the political involvement on either side. I think it would be better to have handed it over to the state attorney and keep local politics out of it. But the governor, I understand Pamela Fur, Crime Stories investigative reporter, has now been indicted by a grand jury and taken into custody. It's happening, people. Pam? It is happening. And um, you mentioned the state attorney. It's my understanding that the state's attorney said they did not have jurisdiction in this, so therefore wouldn't be investigating. So that's why it was... How can they not have jurisdiction? It's within the state of Missouri. What does that mean? Good question, but that is what their statement was publicly on this particular case. I will also say that this all happened before he became governor, but it was right before he he decided to run for governor. So he knew he had this in his very, very immediate past. So to take this kind of risk is pretty interesting. And also it should be noted, he was a Democrat right before he decided to run for governor as a Republican. 
So there may be some, you know, retaliation from a political standpoint simply because he switched parties. That's what the scuttlebutt really is in the Missouri political circles at this point. Uh, he admitted to having this affair in 2015, but he didn't admit to it until January of this year, and that's when the investigation started. Well, another thing, Joseph Scott Morgan with me, forensics expert and professor at Jacksonville State University. Joe Scott, here's the problem I have with it. I, I, I don't care, again, who's sleeping with who, okay? that that's a moral decision and i'm certainly don't have a leg to stand on uh regarding morals but the law once it's a felony then i'm in in this case you've got two consenting adults she has consented to a sex relationship with the married governor she's um in the room obviously living out some kind of a fetish between the two of them and says that a photo was taken of her without her consent. Now, to me, that does a disservice to all women that have truly been victims of sex assault. And we see it unfolding before our eyes. I've seen it in all the rapes and the molestations that I prosecuted when nobody believed the victim but me. But you know what? It's not our call, Joe Scott, because a grand jury heard the evidence. A grand jury. They decided that it was without her consent, and there was enough evidence to send the case on to a pettit jury or a jury of 12. So, Joe Scott, I mean, there you have it. Yeah, Nancy, as you know, the in in grand grand jury uh, proceedings, these proceedings are essentially sealed. It's not something where you can go in and you know you've got an audience that's in there. They're going to hear everything that's going on. This is the prosecutor presenting evidence to this group of impaneled people to decide if they're going to move forward with charges. And obviously, in this particular case, they've heard evidence that has been presented to them by the prosecutor that would compel them to move forward with charges in in this environment. And another layer to this, we began to think about this, is uh, you've heard this term blackmail floated around in the news media. And this is very troubling. And I really wonder if that has an influence on the decision that uh, not just the prosecutor, but this impaneled grand jury uh, uh, if it influenced them to the point where they said, yeah, we're going to come back with a true bill on this and we, we're going to recommend indictment on this particular uh, charge. And we're not really going to know anything until all of this comes out in court or, or is played out uh, in court before our very eyes. Well, you know what, actually, Troy, I, you know, I've been saying how could she go that far in living out this fetish between herself married and the governor married but actually let, let's think about this for a moment who would consent to a photo of it that could be used against her that that's when you when you think about it in that light of argument who would nobody would nobody would want that photo taken that could bring down a marriage so she she may very well have an argument that this grand jury bought into. Can we just say for a moment that the governor is not being charged with blackmail? Mm -mm. So this is a, a one count indictment for invasion of privacy. There is no allegation of blackmail. And Nancy, as far as the grand jury is concerned, you and I both know that any prosecutor worth his salt or her salt can indict a ham sandwich. Oh, goodness gracious. Did you go to the same class with Irving Younger that I did? I mean, the ham sandwich thing is way overdone. Okay, Troy. I expected more from you, the friend. The basic idea, Nancy, you know that any prosecutor that wants to get the indictment gets the indictment. The, the grand jury is a, a sheep, and they indict just about everything that the prosecutor wants because there's no defense attorney in there. The only person that they hear from in a grand jury is the prosecutor. There's no one arguing on behalf of the governor in those proceedings. And even if this prosecutor thought that there was a basis for blackmail, she would have indicted him. 
Well, the defendant has a right to show up at grand jury proceedings, although I would advise against it to any defendant because it will all be used, could be used against them. Got a question for you. Hold on, Troy. Pam Furr, uh, Crime Stories investigative reporter, Pamela Furr, joining us on the Missouri governor story unfolding. Pamela Furr, they do have the photo, don't they? I mean, the photo exists. This isn't just a he say, she say, is it? They say they have the photo, but they released um, 13 pieces of evidence. Uh, the prosecutor's office uh, actually released the 13 pieces of evidence that was presented to the grand jury. And the part of that evidence was a photo of this woman that they're listing as K.S., this allegedly the hairdresser. Also in that evidence list were emails between this woman and the governor. So that could be why they believe they have such a strong case also of the possibility of the invasion of privacy. And they're still investigating on the blackmail part. That's why that allegation is still so strong out there in these circles in Missouri. Hang on, Nancy. Let's let's make this clear. The prosecutor just revealed in a court hearing that they don't actually have the picture that is involved in the indictment. And in fact, in, in, in a court hearing, Prosecutor Robert Steele said, I did not tell them that the picture doesn't exist. I told them we don't have it in our possession at this time. We plan to get that picture. Seems to me that there's something in those emails that would suggest the photo was against her consent. Guys, audio uncovered, audio secretly recorded by the husband of his wife describing her sex encounter with the Missouri governor. Listen. I'll make you feel better. I'll make you feel good. Come downstairs. I want to show you how to do a proper pull-up. And I knew that he was being sexual, and I still let him. Use some sort of tape, I don't know what it was, and tape my hands to these rings and then put a blindfold on me. I don't even know, I feel like, I don't even know. I just know, I just think I And he stepped back and I saw flesh through the blindfold. He said, You're never gonna mention my name, otherwise, these pictures will be everywhere. You were just hearing a secretly recorded conversation by the hairdresser that has basically brought down an administration in the Missouri state governor's office. That was recorded by her husband. But there's more. Take a listen to this. I met Eric a year ago and I instantly had a big crush on him. She goes on to explain her interactions with Greitens are sometimes initiated by herself and that they met because she cut his hair. She said she felt drawn to talk to the governor, but when he told her, I want you to come over to his home, she first said no and wanted to meet for coffee. You know, it's interesting right there, Karen Stark, that he says no I can't meet you for coffee because we would be seen. This is wrong. But Karen Stark, New York psychologist, joining me, even knowing it was wrong, he continued to do it. I mean, we've all done things that are wrong. All of us, including me. Things I wish I had never done. Things I wish I could take back. I guess my question is, when you have so much to lose and you're in public life, you know you're going to get busted, Karen. And yet you see, Nancy, that it happens all the time. It's mind-blowing when you consider the fact that so many people who are in the public eye, who are responsible to citizens, knowing that they're running for office or that they're in office go ahead and 
allow things like that to happen can't stop themselves. So they are psychologically compelled. I'm not saying there's any kind of mental disorder, but they are compelled to do it despite the fact that it's a risk that can bring them down. And we see it happen all the time that all of a sudden they're not paying attention to the fact that they have a responsibility and that this could actually ruin their careers and ruin their reputation with the people that they're representing. They're drawn to keep doing it. Back to Pamela for our crime stories investigative reporter. What more do we know? And you said that blackmail is actually on the table, that they're investigating blackmail. What's the genesis of a blackmail charge? The only thing that uh, is being reported on the blackmail charge is, again, the email exchanges between the two that the city attorney's office has, and they released that as part of the list of evidence, 13 pieces of evidence that they have, including a picture of this hairdresser, but it's not the picture that everybody is talking about. You had asked earlier if they even have that picture. The truth is we don't know. They act as if they do, but we actually don't know if they have that picture. As far as blackmail, what's leading to that is is possibly the conversations between the two that may be in those emails. And they keep saying the investigation is ongoing and there could be more indictments handed down. The hairdresser says the governor taped her hands to rings, rings that you hold on to, um, and then put a blindfold on her, took a photo of her partially nude, and remained and warned her to remain silent. Quote, I saw a flash through the blindfold, and he said, you're never going to mention my name. Now, that's according to her. Take a listen to what her husband says. He took a picture of my wife naked as blackmail. There is no worse person. I think it's as bad as it gets. I think it's as bad as it gets when somebody takes advantage of somebody. You know what's curious, Troy Slayton, L.A. defense lawyer, the statute of limitations for invasion of privacy in Missouri is three years. That means that statute was due to expire in less than a month. That's um pretty uncanny timing, Troy. I think it is, and it smacks of uh, politics that the prosecutor would wait uh, until the very last minute, actually the 11th hour, before she could file this indictment. And the governor has filed a motion to dismiss the indictment on the basis that any interaction between the two of them was consensual. So if if the only evidence that they have of blackmail uh, or that this was un, not consensual is her statement, well, that just doesn't have the ring of truth to it. Because here we have a woman who's engaging in a bondage uh, scenario, agreeing to be dominated. This could have very well been a part of their entire fantasy interaction together. This is what uh, sticks out of my mind. The governor is a father of two little boys. Now, he came into office as a political outsider, which I like, a Rhodes Scholar, that's not easy. A Navy SEAL? An officer who was wounded in Iraq? Wow. I mean, Joe Scott Morgan. What better resume, what better background could you have? A father, a husband, a political outsider, a Rhodes Scholar, and a Navy SEAL who was actually wounded in the line of duty in Iraq? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Nancy. He, it, it, What a better resume. What a better resume also uh, to, to look at it through this light. You should have known better. And I think that that's, that's what's disturbing about this whole thing. Uh, you know, the world that we live in now. Um, you know, this, this guy is set up, he's everything that you want to be, you know, to become a road scholar in and of itself is a monumental task, uh, to go abroad and study in locations like Oxford, 
uh, and to make it through Navy SEAL training to lead men in battle. And he's also been involved in charitable efforts relative to veterans coming home from the war. And I applaud him for all of that. But, you know, in one one instance, in just one blink of an eye, all of that can be destroyed by decisions that you make and things that he should have known better than to have been involved in. But again, we fall back to uh, our fallback position is always, well, they're consenting adults, so it's none of our business. Well, unfortunately, it is our business now because he's a public servant. It's in the light of day. And everybody's exposed to all of this tawdry, tawdry business. Well, I agree that it's tawdry unless it's blackmail, unless a photo was taken of her unclothed without her consent. And I don't care what she agreed to. If this was against her consent, it is against her consent. And if the prosecutor does believe the photo was against her consent, it must be prosecuted. I, I know it's a hard sell, but if they really believe the photo was against her consent, there's no choice, but they must present it to a jury. In a recording obtained initially by News 4, a woman says she had a sex encounter with Missouri Governor Eric Greitens and that he tried to blackmail her to keep the encounter secret. Interesting choice, Leighton, L.A. defense attorney. He has been indicted for ta allegedly taking the photo, but not for blackmail. That's right. And so all this talk about, you know, what a, an amazing person he is, uh, we can't forget that. And if it sounds to me like this woman would have the motivation to lie to her husband, uh, who is figuring all this out and to say to him, you know, honey, you know, I, he, he was blackmailing me. And, and, and that's sounds to me like, that was her excuse to her husband and that she was trying to look for sympathy from her husband at that point. Well, we know a and little bit about the emails that may suggest blackmail. Uh, in an October email, the hairdresser allegedly sends an email to a Gmail account she told her husband she had used to get in touch with Governor Greitens. And it states... Allegedly, Eric, I'm asking you to please consider all who were involved in the circumstances around us. I need you to not book at the salon anymore. This isn't fair to me nor anyone else close to us. Please respect me and my wishes. Now, I, I don't know that that proves blackmail, that she's asking him not to book appointments at the salon. That that doesn't really impress me one way or the other, Troy Slayton. No, that sounds like she's having remorse and wants to maybe do the right thing now and doesn't want to be forced to be in a situation with him. That has nothing to do with whether or not he surreptitiously took the photo, like her husband surreptitiously recorded her. Now, the wife has spoken out. Greitens' wife, Sheena, has stated, we have a loving marriage and an awesome family. Anything beyond that is between us and God. I want the media and those who wish to peddle gossip to stay away from me and my children. Man, she's in a bad spot, Karen Stark. Yeah, and there's not too much that she can do about it. It sounds it sounds great great that she's saying it's, you know, between them. And I do agree that it is between them, except that he is somebody who's in the public eye and it's very hard to say that the media shouldn't be involved when he took that kind of a risk well you know i've also got a question the motives of a husband that records his wife's conversations joe scott morgan i mean what's his motive other than revenge hatred greed get back i mean what do you think yeah i know we've uh i remember famously the uh uh, uh there was a case and it it, it uh the name escapes me right now uh, down in Florida, where where you had a, a fellow that was taping the sexual encounters of his wife, uh, to that was actually used as as blackmail uh, toward the individuals that they would target. So you know that brings up that raises a completely different uh, specter uh, in this whole thing as well. You know what is his motivation, or is it financial gain? Uh, is it just him? Is it some kind of 
uh, paraphilia he has, uh, you know, sexually directed to these these events that his wife is engaged in. I don't know. It leaves it leaves a big, huge open swath for you know, kind of fill in the blank here as we go forward. Is this indictment the real thing, or? Is it just more political trickery? Nancy, the first step in a possible impeachment of the governor was taken Tuesday as a Missouri State House committee met for the first time in its investigation of the scandal. The bipartisan committee has 40 days to call witnesses with subpoenas and to prepare a report that, depending on what they find, could lead to impeachment proceedings against Governor Greitens. Michigan Republican Party officials say that they've created a new nonprofit in order to raise money to help the embattled Missouri governor with his legal expenses. Also, supporters of Greitens have started a legal defense fund privately. And on the flip side of that, there's a veterans charity founded by Greitens that says they'll now support an attorney general's inquiry into whether the misuse of our resources by the Greitens campaign took place. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner.